Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Oh, Lisa Rubin, we're back. Hello, Kitty. Good morning. Good morning and good day to wherever you are, our favorite listeners, our loyal listeners, and our new listeners. Hey, I was thinking about something. There is a ton of podcasts out in the world. There is a ton of information. There's tons and tons of books to read, all focused on how to be your best self in various forms, right? Yes, several. <laughs> tons. <laughs> I think what's so interesting to me is how do you find the right one for you? Like, what is the process that people go through? There isn't a right answer on this, is there? I don't think so. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I don't know how people choose it. Maybe because a friend told them or something like that. And they say, oh my God, I just read the best book. And then someone will go and get it. Or maybe the book is colorful. If you go into an actual bookstore and you see it and you think, oh, I think I'm going to pick this one. But I'm not sure. That's a good question. Yeah. Or a New York Times recommendation. I, I feel like the way people choose who they're going to read or what they're going to listen to comes in as many different ways as there are people and personalities and all of that. So then that got me thinking about if you're going down the right path, if you're going down the wrong path, all of that. And as you're choosing to, let's call it continuing education, okay. everything, everything you learn, everything you read about, especially if you're, I, you know, self-help seems to me to be, it's a catch phrase. So we'll go there how you do your continuing education and who you choose to listen to. Well, we have a guest coming on, Pilar Gerasimo. And she wrote a book called The Healthy Deviant. And it's very interesting. And I've read it. And she, her whole, The Healthy Deviant is about being healthy in an unhealthy world. And so we're going to talk to her about that and many other things. I feel sometimes you just need a refresher you don't need to change the whole thing, right? Like when you go into somebody's space and you're going to consult with them, I think people are maybe fearful sometimes that you're going to throw everything out <laughs> as opposed yes, to just are. refreshing. Yes, absolutely. Every time, every time they stand there. And the, if I could take a photo of everyone's face when I first walk into someone's closet and they are petrified. Um, and then they realize, oh, and then they, their shoulders come down and it takes about 20 to 25 minutes before we even can have a conversation. And I know that. So um, you're absolutely correct on that. Yes. And when people are reading books, I know when I read books, it's always, there's a lot of fluff at the beginning. I'll call it fluff at the beginning to kind of get you prepared to get into the work, <laughs> which is probably what you do, which is maybe a little what I do when moving into spaces and then finding the right fit. So it all has to come together to give you the feeling that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. So it'll be interesting to talk to Pilar because there's so many changes that are going on now, obviously living through a pandemic and whatnot. And 
and whatnot, and just the world that we're living in. And finding the right fit is so important to me. And it reminds me of, I, I had, a, I had a, a gig, let's call it a gig once, and it just wasn't the right fit for me. And in trying to explain why it wasn't the right fit for me, I use this analogy, and I think it's probably happened to everyone. Do you know when, let's just say, I, I love shopping sales. I've gotten better at being discerning at shopping sales, but there's one time I bought the most beautiful pair of pants. I loved them. They didn't quite fit right, but I loved them. And I took them home and I'd try them on and they just didn't really feel right. And I couldn't really find anything that went well with them. And so I thought, well, they don't fit. I'll have them taken out. They need a little bit of taken out. They need a little bit of lengthening. And I took them to get altered and then I put them back on. They still did not fit me right. And so eventually I just said, you know what? I got to give these up. It's not a fit for me. And I think that's an analogy. And I think we as women, particularly maybe everyone can tend to hang on too long to something, thoughts, ideas, relationships, how we treat ourselves, things that we do in our lives. And so I think it will be fun to talk to Pilar because she's got some insight on that, especially when, as we age and how to continue to be more resilient. What do you think? That's a very good analogy. I like that analogy a lot. Actually, when I go into someone's closet, I give that particular article of clothing a four. So to be so you're rating on that. You're rating the clothing. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm not necessarily rating the clothing, but I that is a pile of clothing that we talk about as a whole because everybody does what you just did. It, it, and that's also called retail therapy. Absolutely. Which, which we have talked about several times. We have. Nothing like a good retail therapy session. Or an eyesore in your closet because <laughs> you continue to look at that one piece that you went and spent money on and you haven't worn it yet. The tags are still on it and you just yeah. keep looking at it. And it makes you uncomfortable when you open your closet doors sometimes. It does. And you don't want to add up the price of all those tags that are hanging there in some cases. No, <laughs> no, I don't recommend that. <laughs> well, let's welcome Pilar to our podcast. So excited that she has chosen to join us. She podcasts on her own. She's an author. She has an incredible Instagram. Pilar Gerasimo, thank you so much for being with us. We're excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. I'm going to start with asking you, if someone met you off the street and said, what do you do? Who are you? Mm. and you only had two minutes to talk to them, what would you say? <laughs> well, I give them my one sentence answer, which is that I help thoughtful people master the art of being healthy in an unhealthy world. And that kind of embodies the bulk of what I do, which is everything from I'm an author of a book called The Healthy Deviant. I'm the founding editor of a magazine called Experience Life, which I actually was on the cover of once back in 2013. No, no, let's see, 2001 with, with um, Lifetime, the Healthy Way of Life company. I'm the podcast host for the Living Experiment podcast with my friend Dallas Hartwig. And I've done a whole bunch of other things, including developing apps like 101 Revolutionary Ways to Be Healthy. Um, and I now do mostly online courses and membership programs and speaking. Uh, and I just launched my most new initiative is called Healthy Deviance at Work. That's all about how to be healthy at work and change cultures at work 
to be healthier. Uh, and I think I met you folks through my Refine Your Life or Change It Completely workshop series, which is in progress right now. But we did a mini workshop just a few weeks ago, and I got to connect with some really amazing, life-changing people in that uh, experience, too. Well, and I'll go back even further. You have such an expansive. So you and I met briefly when we were both on Roshini Rajkumar's podcast. We were recording her podcast and I got your book and absolutely devoured it and Yay! still have my <laughs> still have my morning habits that I've really worked hard to maintain. And then I did jump on to the how you how to refine your life continuing because I thought how beautiful. I love that we're not starting from scratch. We're refining, which mm -hmm. to me is what Lisa does when she goes into people's homes to refine their wardrobes, to give them to, to get them to feel the best about themselves. So their view in their mirror is incredible. And what I do when I go into people's homes to refine spaces, to make sure they can function well, you're, you're making sure people can function well. Yes, and really both of the specialties that you guys have professionally are really good examples of skill sets that can improve the quality of people's lives and their feeling of health and vitality and resilience and just functionality. And that they're part of the set of what I call healthy person skills that aren't widely taught in our culture. And so we have to make a decision, a conscious decision to continue to learn those skills, particularly the ones that you know are important to us. For some people, home is going to be way more important than wardrobe for other people what they're wearing has a bigger impact for them than their space and the truth is all of us are affected by everything you know and we just get to continually adjust those levers i like the word refine your life too although i have to say it's interesting in the world that we live in the emphasis is always on like completely change your life in three easy ways and a part of the reason i changed my approach with magazine editing early on to be less sensational and more acknowledging of the fact that we all have to make these incremental changes and eventually we get to a place where our life is good enough we don't want to tear it down and start over we sometimes really need to notice what's going on that's asking for adjustment or what's calling to us as a vision and then go for that. So I'm really excited that, that you responded to that. You're my target audience, I think. So <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, thank you. I think intentional is one of the words that I personally struggle with being very intentional. Sometimes I'll find myself busy with things that are not filling my bucket. Yeah. So that's been a and I, and I, yeah, at the same time, I think COVID living through COVID has forced people to be more quiet and to maybe look at some of these things that are going on. What are you, what are you finding? What's changed really? Well, it's interesting. You know, I feel like the conditions for overwhelm, burnout, exhaustion, anxiety, depression, they've just been building and building for the past several decades. I mean, the way that life is now, I often say, is an unprecedented experiment. There's no generation in the history of humanity who has ever lived lives like we are living. This level of technical complexity, this level of time poverty, this level of everyone having different goals and trying to live together in any way, shape or form. Um, so what my experience right now is that people are reaching a point where their bodies and their minds are both breaking down 
or they're getting into a state I call pissed off body syndrome, if you will allow me that small swear <laughs> word, which is just the way that our bodies tell us where that our basic needs are not being met during the course of our everyday lives. And initially, what comes up for people are small symptomatic issues and it might be they get a nervous tick or they get a little rash or for me things that were a little scary as i ignored the early symptoms was i started getting the eyelashes on one eye falling out and a whole bunch of other issues night sweats and you know anxiety and stomach problems and back aches I think what is challenging is the way that we're living now we're often so pressed for time and we're forced into more productivity we don't really get to pay attention. We aren't encouraged to pay attention to those early warning signals. And I think what happened during COVID is that the, beyond early warning signals, all of the flares started going off. All of the alarm bells started ringing and things really just stopped being able to function in our lives with you know kids at home or parents that needed care and jobs that needed help and us trying to pursue our own goals and the limiting factors just increasing the limitations becoming so limiting there was no way to to really make it man to make it manageable so now i think we're all in a place where there's a gift in this which is that it really wasn't working that well before for a lot of people and covid and all of the circumstances in a post covid you know pr you know i guess it's mid pandemic probably <laughs> reality are giving us an opportunity to adjust things like our working rhythms of life and our living situations and our support networks and expectations in a way that i ultimately think is positive uh it's just really brutally painful for a lot of people right now so I feel really honored to be able to give people strategies for surviving the conditions we're living in. But that's not the goal in my mind. It's not just survival. I really feel like a wholesale redesign of our societal expectations, our cultural norms, our priorities, and our values are really at stake. I believe it's possible for us to live healthier, happier, more rewarding lives coming out of this and more sustainable ones that work for our planet and our communities, our global communities too. It's a, it's a big goal and it really starts in small incremental pieces. You have in the Healthy Deviant, the statistics of unhealthy people. You had several yes. statistics. Yeah, I opened the book with those because there, there were statistics that I had been carrying around in my own mind for a long time. And I realized that I kept, as a, as a health journalist, which is my background, I did, um, I founded Experience Life and ran that magazine for a better part of 15 years. And I kept getting bombarded by statistics, you know, in the news and in clinical trials and things. And then at some point it formulated into a series of charts that I, I have in the first chapter of my book. And by the way, I make the first chapter available free online. If anybody wants to check it out, the introduction and the whole first chapter is in there. But the first chapter is called The Crazy That Passes for Normal. And I have a series of charts that talk about like 50% of U.S. adults have been diagnosed with a chronic illness, 60%, you know, 68% overweight or obese, 70% taking at least one prescription drug, 80% not thriving mentally and emotionally. And then this one, 97% not maintaining even the most basic healthy habits, which then takes me to my kind of summary assumption that if you think about the people that are doing all of those things and also getting enough sleep, also maintaining healthy social connections, and also um, managing to moderate their stress, it's like, do you think it's possible that it's more than 1% doing all of those things? <laughs> and for some reason, delivering those statistics in charts seemed to break through the clutter of just having them delivered in a series of sentences. And when people see that reality visually, 
that you know there's one out of 100 people that is healthy, happy, and on track to stay that way, two things happen. One, people are like, oh my God, how, could, how can that be? And how can we run a world that way? And then the second part is like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Like if we are one of the 99.9% people really who are having some struggles, it's not you. It's that the way we're living is not working for almost anybody. And I'm interested in helping people, I say, you know, deviate in healthy ways from the norms that are producing those results and find the skill sets and the patterns and the mindsets that actually let you be a bright spot and the exception to that terrifying rule. If you could give someone just one piece of advice on how to start that journey, what would it be? Well, I think the first advice would be to not expect it to just be three easy tips or some listicle. Let yourself off the hook of thinking that it's just one thing that you don't know or that there's one way to do it. I recommend abandoning the idea that you're going to change your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your everything all at once. And instead, choose one of three renegade rituals that I talk about in my book. Very simple rituals, really. One's a morning minutes practice, different than the morning ritual that you've probably been taught about, you know, meditate, exercise, have a smoothie, do a thing. It's like you pick three minutes at the very beginning moment when you wake up, you get three minutes to do something that you enjoy, that feels pleasurable, that you're actually attracted to doing. And in those three minutes, don't have any media, don't have any digital devices, do not even look at your phone. It is way more challenging than you might think. This is just one option and I give you three, but that morning minutes practice alone of just wake up, take three of the very first three minutes before you do anything else and make it for yourself delivers an interesting unexpected result for people. And that's that they suddenly feel what it's like to be connected to themselves in a way that like lets them check in and really feel how they are. Notice what's what they have an appetite for, whether that's movement or tea or quiet. <laughs> and I think once we have even three minutes, particularly that first waking cycle of the day, our brain waves are in a different place, theta waves instead of, you know, beta. I think it gives people a sense of what it might be like to be in that space more and to feel good in their own bodies and minds and homes in a way that they mostly don't. And that sets up a sense of possibility and of desire that allows for second and third and fourth level changes. Um, and I want to help people, you know, take people by the hand, I say, and like lead them through how to make all of their days feel more like that and then create the life patterns and structures that support that. Um, because I, I will say, you know, we all want quick, easy fixes. The problem is that taking a few quick, easy fixes and trying to hold them up as the solution in the context of a world gone nuts, like it just you have more and more and more things to do right you've got your supplements you're supposed to take you've got the exercise you're supposed to manage you're going to meditate you're going to do this thing and eventually <laughs> i think it just ends up it's like blaming the victim we've now laid more things on your plate that you need to do somehow magically in the time that you don't have what we're not doing is giving people space and time to really connect with their own body minds and listen is this sustainable is this working or am I breaking myself down by trying to add another thing and another thing and another thing? That was it's, really well said. That was fantastic. Yeah, oh, you thanks. just, I could listen to you. I'm like, here, we have 20 minutes. Just talk, tell us, <laughs> give us your heart. But, but, <laughs> me being the anal one of what you just listened, what I just heard you say, do you recommend no cell phone? <laughs> 
Yeah. Like before you grab your phone, the three minutes should happen, correct? Yes. And, and there's a really good scientific reason for that. I mean, it is, it, it is true that there's just a kind of addictive tendency that once you pick it up, it's really hard to put down. But beyond that, when we wake up, we move from our sleeping state where our mind, our brain is in something called the delta wave usually. You know, it's like these long, looping, broad waves. And the mind is, you know, it's unconscious. Then we move into a twilight phase called theta, T-H-E-T-A. And the theta wave state is a little bit more like this, but it's between waking and sleeping. And in that state, in your theta wave state, you are much more vulnerable and impressionable it's also a really uh, an interesting state that accesses the subconscious and conscious mind, you know, between dreaming and waking. And so it's an important time where you can have access to your own impressionability to implant your thoughts and intentions and goals for the day and be who you are. Decide I'm going to show up as myself today. I want this day to be this way. But if you go directly from your delta into beta, which is what happens the minute you pick up media and you start tapping and clicking and re reacting to who liked you overnight, how much email came in, what's the news, you know, what has to get done today, you go from delta straight into like a beta, which is like a ticky 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 wave, and you miss the opportunity to implant your own intentions and goals and to access your own subconscious thoughts and desires. Hmm, how am I doing? What's going on? What do I want? And you're thrown into the agenda that this world has for you. And once that comes in, your autonomy, your priorities for that day are polluted by whatever the world has on its agenda for you. And I feel like in that moment where we move from our sleeping unconscious self into our, our waking self, and I'll just feel this way, science, brain science suggests this way, we have access to information that we don't have any other time of the day. And if we give up that golden moment, just because we are too addictedly, you know, like it's easy to be in reaction to whatever's coming up, something good, something bad, something adorable, something terrifying. We give up our own mental space, our own emotional space, our own physical space. The only realm that we really have any control over in the present moment, our body mind, we just hand it over in its most vulnerable condition to the most toxic cloud imaginable. And there is no way your body and mind are prepared to deal with the onslaught of that stuff when it comes at you. So I really like to emphasize for people, it isn't just that it's like a good, like waking hygiene thing to do, which it is, it's really an important self-care strategy that then, like I said, it's like you wedge a little bit of space open. And from that position, you can make a whole bunch of other healthier choices, non-automatic choices, thoughtful choices. And that can make all the difference in the world. I think about the small incremental changes, and that is just a small incremental change that anybody can do easily. Yes. Everybody's got three minutes to give in the morning. That's and right. Even your get children, in that habit. even your children, you could suggest, you know, not your little ones, but, you know, your teenagers or your college aged children to even suggest doing that. Because I think, you know, they wake up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and they check the phone. Yeah, it's, you can't help it. I mean, it's just like, ah, I had to call my partner back to bed the other night because he got up and somehow ended up on his phone. And I was like, Alan? Alan, <laughs> where are you coming back? And it's, 
you know, here's what I suggest is that people consider it an experiment. Do not sign yourself up to I shall never again wake up and look at my phone because you're going to you're going to be in reaction to that idea. Instead, I say, see what happens if you do it for one morning. I mean, if you can't create a, if you and I even actually create little signs that I put on top of my phone, like a tent card <laughs> that I, I set on top of my phone. I might even have one here. Um, in order to remind me not to look at it. You know, if I come down the stairs and I see it on the charging station, I will not have this by my bed. I have a, I really suggest getting a different kind of alarm clock. But sometimes I'm tempted to pick it up on my way to get coffee, where I get my coffee. And now what I do is I light a beeswax candle. I have my cup of coffee. I sit down and I just ask myself from that point, what feels good? Do I want to listen to some like, like chant music and meditate? Do I want to play my guitar? Do I feel like petting my dog? Are there birds that I can see outside? I want to go out and listen to the birds chirping or just feel the fresh air on my face. Do I want to do nothing but watch the candle, put lotion on my hands? You know, what would feel good for three minutes? And I can do more than one thing in those three minutes, but typically I try to take three minutes to just be chill and notice what feels good. If you consider that an experiment, just you're going to try it one day, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> and you set up a reminder system like a tent card. I actually should give you guys a link to the tent card. So it's a PDF that people can print and they can download it and print it and have it like cut it out, set it on the tent card on the phone to remind you that you're going to do a morning minutes practice. And when you do that as an experiment, just to see what happens and you notice the feeling, how different it is. I would be very surprised if you don't want to try that experiment again. And if you do it again, you might find that going beyond three minutes is appealing. <laughs> you might four or five or 10. And by the time people get up to 30 minutes, they're like, their life has changed. They're addicted to this new thing. They do it every day. And then they start thinking like, I want to feel like this more often. And then there's second and third renegade rituals that I put in place that I talk about in my book and other places. But yeah, think of it as an experiment. Give it a try. And remember, you don't have to do anything in particular. So notice what your resistance is. If you cannot figure out a way to make yourself take three minutes to do something you enjoy, first thing in the morning before anybody is expecting anything of you, I would argue, you know, you're basically a slave to your conditioning and or a slave to a system. So true. So and true. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, now we have work to do on that. That's a motivational factor. And the thing is, here's something other, another motivational perspective. What is getting in the way of you spending those three minutes waking to come into your most productive, effective self, claiming the most important minutes, what's getting in the way of that practice experimentally is getting in the way of every other healthy thing you want to do. Competing priorities, someone else's issue, you know, whatever, crises galore, too much stuff, not enough focus. And that gives you a target of where to begin making change and that will be rewarding and make everything else easier. <laughs> Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break. I feel like we have an intersection. Our sponsor is Rustica Bakery, who we just love. Rustica's Edina location sits right by Lifetime Fitness, which is where you got your start in the Lifetime Health Organization. And we have you on with us and we're going to get more pearls of wisdom and information from you when we come back. So hang tight. On the Viewing Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. 
and Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the take and bake cookies, available online or in-store. Truly a capstone for any get-together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate, a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. We are back with Pilar Gerasimo, and we are so excited to continue this conversation. Both Lisa and I said at break, we're just mesmerized, really, because it's just really digestible, wonderful, feel-good information. And I like the fact that you're giving people the direction that it doesn't have to be big amounts of changes. It can be incremental changes. I think the biggest thing for me personally is to stay present and to not let my mind go. Yeah. Yeah. Or let your mind go completely and understand that it's going to be a monkey mind circus for a while and just <laughs> let it run. You know, I it truly, you know, I one of the recommendations I make to people, the second renegade ritual that I talk about in my book are called ultradian rhythm breaks. And the idea is that, you know, you've, you've heard this advice before of taking 20 minute breaks every hour and a half or so. But a lot of people don't understand that science behind that either, which is in the 90 minutes that you're being productive, you're taking in this immense amount of information and then your brain starts to fritz out like it is just over full of too many things that are not yet connected that haven't been done too many new ideas um and when you take a break both your body and your mind use that time to reorganize the information that's come in to rebalance hormones and blood sugar to you know basically open up new channels that were getting clogged so when you go, when you're like, let your mind go, I say, take a walk, get away from anything that might put anything new into your brain and just let your brain go absolutely bonkers. You're going to come up with a thousand things that you need to do. If you need to remind yourself like, hey, remind me, Siri, I have to do this thing or call your assistant or whoever it is. But ultimately letting your mind flow and go, just like letting your body move when it's been staying still too long is a really healing thing to do. Um, and it's very different <laughs> than getting stuck in your monkey mind. And yeah, that, that is no fun for anybody. So <laughs> hey, you think about it, pro athletes, any athlete, you're playing in a game, you're on point, you're doing well, you have to come out and take a break. Yeah. And especially if things are starting to slip, you come out, you take a break. It's really no different. It's, it's training yourself to take those breaks. And I think this is a great lead in to talking about the professional person who really has a lot going on in their life and in their job. And in some cases, they don't want to pivot away from what they're doing, but things have really changed in the world and how we're working. So some of those strategies, what are you seeing in that workplace in terms of the burnout physically and mentally? 
Yeah. And, and may I oh. add the fact that they're also now still working from home, so they can't take the break between work and family anymore. And they have, you know, a lot of things happening in their house that they have to think about while they're working, where before they could kind of separate it. So I think that's an added stress. You're right. Oh, Lisa, that's so true that we used to have a transition time, you know, our commute time. Exactly. The way there and the way yeah. back. And a lot of people use that time to prepare mentally and to decompress or to have a little bit of me time. You know, they would listen to podcasts or they would listen to, so, you know, an online course or something like that, or just music that they like, their fight song, <laughs> you know, before they get to work. Yeah. And that's like gone. So I think we all have heard those terms about burnout and overwhelm. And again, as I said, I, I don't think that the conditions of that are exclusive to COVID. I think most of us were feeling that way before because we've asked more and more and more of people, giving them less and less opportunity for recovery and resilience building and preparation. The margins have just all disappeared, both in, in, our, in our lives as adults, but our children's lives too, right? We used to have recess and art and music and like nap time, and that all disappeared too. So, my, I will share just a little bit of my own experience because I have worked in large companies, publicly held companies, startups, many other places where I had to go to work every day. And I noticed even back in the 90s and early 2000s that it seemed like everyone was worn pretty thin relative to what I was encountering when I was younger. And I, I realized, I think early on, that my body was sending me signals that, as I said, it was not happy, pissed off body syndrome, the eyelashes falling out, the rash, the thing, the headache, the backache. And I just ignored that up until the point that, you know, and I got, I shouldn't say ignored it. <laughs> I went to try to get the symptoms treated. I got a cream for the rash. I got acupuncture for the hormonal weirdness. I got all these different, and that added things I had to do, right? Go to the doctor, I take these appointments. Until at some point, I was trying to fit in so many things to do, like, my exercise, my diet, my self-care routines became actually oppressive in the context of a way too busy life. And on one particular day, I talk about this story often, I reached my literal breaking point where I could not figure out how to do everything I had to do and show up looking like I was supposed to look and produce the work I needed to produce on time, on schedule, at the quality level, I felt it was good enough. And I freaked myself out so badly that in a fit of frustration, I stomped my foot on the wooden floor of my apartment so hard that I broke a bone in my foot and cracked my skeleton. And that moment led me to a series of epiphanies. I won't go into here except to say the biggest insight from that was, oh my God, I am breaking myself. I have been breaking myself. This has to stop. And me figuring out how to stop breaking myself is really the story of every piece of content that I've produced since, you know, whatever that was, 2003 or something like that. So I've been at this game for a long time. And what I recommend to people is to begin by getting quiet. Listen to what your body is telling you. Do a mental evaluation. And if you need to, on, an, on a post-it note or, God forbid, a legal tablet, Start listing all of the ways that your body is telling you that it's annoyed with you. I have in my book what I call a weird symptom checklist. 
And that includes things, you know, like skin rashes, um, nervous tics, indigestion, oh, you know, back aches, th uh, carpal tunnel, eye tics, dry eyes. It's a long, ridiculously kind of silly, simple list. And I, again, I'm not suggesting that I'm a physician or I'm planning on diagnosing anybody for real, but the ultimate, my diagnosis of that, if you have a variety of those things, is that you're suffering from pissed off body syndrome. And if you know that, you're like, oh yeah, Pilar has just listed three things, I have all of them or whatever. Be honest with yourself. This is a signal that it, what, the way you're living is not sustainable. And it's not your fault. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's because you're being asked to live in ways that A, are a gigantic experiment, like I said, first generation in the history of humanity to have tried to live this way. And it's a failing experiment. That's what those statistics we heard earlier are telling us, that 99% of people can't manage to be healthy and happy and on track that way. It's not because we're all stupid and weak-willed, terrible people. It's because the system is not set up to help us succeed in these conditions. And we have to change the system. And that's gonna start with a bunch of us, I think, which we're seeing now through mass resignations and I'm not going back to work the way I was and I need some more support or you need to pay me more so I can hire more support. We need to change the way we are doing this because we're taking really talented, highly skilled, gifted, energetic people and breaking them down year by year, quarter by quarter, and it's not doing anybody any favors, including businesses. So my pivot last year, if I may tell you about it, <laughs> or two years ago, I guess, was I, you know, I finished writing my book. I'd spent a year working with a company in New York. It was a really cool job. I loved it. But I came home from that, that year-long contract and I was exhausted. And then my book launched. And as my book was launching, my tour got canceled by COVID and everything changed. All of my contracts for consulting and public speaking disappeared. My book launch stalled, so I wasn't doing much there. And I had to change what I was doing. So I pivoted everything into an online environment and started teaching what I teach online in courses and memberships. I started Healthy Deviant You based on the book. So that's really a year long experience or longer. Many people have been it now two years. Ongoing experience that goes through four phases of Healthy Deviant evolution. From just starting where you are to reclaiming your mojo reason your game through continuous growth and learning. And then the final stage is called being the, to be the change. And that's stepping into healthy deviant identity. And I created an amazing amount of content from like game boards for each phase. So you get walked through different things to do. There's assignments in each section and videos and workbooks and all of that. And I got, finally got to the end of this incredible, amazing experience of producing all this content, launching an online program, having people sign up for it, having them have amazing experiences. And then I had this huge aha at the end of last year, which is this is not just an individual journey. People need to be on this journey together and organizations could help people who are already in communities and the workplace go through this voyage together. So I launched a new initiative that I'm just beta testing now called Healthy Deviants at Work, which is helping organizations create healthier cultures and support individual stakeholders and contributors and departments and business units in practicing healthier habits and healthier mindsets, not by layering on another thing and another thing and another thing. You know, now you need a weight loss program. Now you need a smoking cessation program. You now you need an anxiety management program. 
but by integrating self-care in the context of a different mindset and a different approach to health change. And the feedback so far on that has been amazing because employers are terrified they're gonna lose their best people through burnout and you know talent flight. <laughs> and people are terrified that they're gonna die if they keep working the way they're working and they're gonna lose their families and they're gonna lose a lot of other things that they don't wanna lose. So I'm just excited right now about the prospects of shifting work cultures in ways that actually serve everybody better. Because if in my business, I want the smartest, healthiest, happiest, most energized, creative, productive, engaged, excited, resilient people, not the most broken down, miserable, sad sack folks I can find or create. <laughs> and I figured out, you know, the hard way myself. Like I said, I got to the breaking point before I had to, before I found a way that I could live that I had to live to be a healthier, happier version of me. Well, it's interesting too. I've seen, I'm not going to name companies, but there have been people from companies that have left companies that have been very vocal about how bad the conditions were within that company and they're good companies. And then you have now CEOs of companies coming out and saying, look, we're taking a new look and we're taking a new approach. And for that very reason. So if, if anybody is paying attention and smart enough to say that change needs to come from top and I need to allow people the time to do this yes. or I'm going to lose them. Yes. You know, it's so funny, Katie. I just had this conversation with someone the other day from a global law firm uh, who got in touch with me after seeing the Refine Your Life or Change a Completely mini workshop that I connected with you in. And we, we started talking about healthy deviance at work and she, it was really interesting. She said, I loved everything you were teaching in that Refine Your Life workshop, but we can't really put people's attention on questions like life balance and how happy they are because they're miserable. And we don't want to make raise the awareness of how out of balance and whack their life is because we're afraid they're going to leave. I mean, they're already leaving, but we're really afraid we're going to leave. And I was like, let me get this straight. Do you think you wouldn't accrue more goodwill from people by acknowledging that you understand their lives are really difficult than pretending that you know you're just like not going to look behind that curtain? I think most companies realize that the writing is on the wall. You know, you may not lose everybody, but you're definitely going to lose your best people because they have options and they're going to negotiate a better situation for themselves with a new employer. So I'm really excited about the idea in this rate in this realm where people are, you know, companies kind of want people to come back to work. Some people want to come back to work. Um, others are saying, no, we're changing the norms. We're going to do this work from home thing. We're going to do different, change the way dynamic. This is the best possible time to disrupt patterns that we're not working to begin with and create an experience that will actually help you retain your best people, recruit the best people, and then have those people operating at a much higher level. Too much on my mind of health, so-called health improvement inside corporate wellness has really just been about driving down costs and like trying to push, artificially push up productivity, which has been a losing battle in my mind. Productivity is increasing, maybe, but creativity is dying engagement is dying and you know i'm sure you guys have seen the statistics that like pretty much half of the people at work are doing more harm than good by being there <laughs> to your brand or your reputation or your product or whatever but i'm imagining you know what if organizations embrace the idea that they could improve their bottom line results which has been shown you can 
by elevating people to operate better, to feel better, to be more excited about what they're doing, and then to show up and give their best gifts, not just have butts in the chair producing the thing you told them to do. Because most of the time, in my experience, people inside organizations actually have a lot of really good ideas for what we could do to improve. There's just no space to embrace a lot of those ideas, and oftentimes no space to even talk about them because we're just forcing people in a forced march. I have an illustration that I drew for one of my corporate um, presentations, which is a series of little characters all hunched over desks typing, and they're all stick figures. They have little bubbles over their heads that say, must keep going. And you've got to imagine a whole army of those people just, just must keep going and their inflammation is going up and their creativity is going down and their moods are falling apart and they're wanting eventually to quit because they reach the breaking point. Well, a healthy deviant in my mind is someone who's like, yay, <laughs> I have an idea. I'm going to do this thing. I'm excited to show up. I feel good. I have energy because they're taking care of themselves and resting. So um, there's a whole new model coming. I'm ready to disrupt corporate wellness. I'm actually calling Healthy Deviants at work uncorporate wellness <laughs> with the idea, <laughs> the idea that we can sort of get out of this, this get more for less idea um, that we've been running business. And I mean, like you said, companies like Goldman Sachs very publicly being effectively flogged for destroying some of the brightest young minds and bodies in that business and realizing this is not what they set out to do. You know, they don't want to be that way, but uh, they're, they're leaving a lot of value on the table when they do that. And um, it reminds me of just the conversation in medicine right now of how we're training our doctors. When my husband exactly. was going through medical school and was up I mean, it, it used to be a badge of honor. Well, I was up for 80 hours straight or whatever it was that, you, you know, and you'd think this is insane. Like, don't you want your medical professionals to be well-rested? And, but yet that was, they, they found value in that type of a training. And then it was that generation of doctors would then train the next generation. And it's taken time for them to say, wait, this does not make any sense. Yeah. We need to give that rest. We need to give that space. Long way to go there. And let's not even, we could have a hour long conversation or more on insurance companies and how that plays into it. And the healthcare there, system in general. And the healthcare system. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We do though. I, I think it's, there's a balance because yes, you have young creative minds who still need to whatever it means, pay their dues within organizations. No one's going to come in and be the president right away, or their ideas are going to be 100% accepted. So there's still that process of taking care of yourself and then, then being in that company, right? There's still the angst of getting to know one of my daughters is at a new job, um, same company, different position, and is loving it, but is in training. She's like, there's just so much I don't know, which is very stressful. But that stress is the stress you are glad, you're happy to accept. Yeah. There's that other stress, especially, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot right now into the woman who's finding everything coming together in menopause and still mm -hmm. has a ton to give as far as value and yeah. information, but is feeling all these just, I don't like myself. I don't like mm. my kids. I don't like my spouse. I don't like where I am. I don't like anything. Where do you start there? Yeah. Oh, that is such good stuff. 
All right. Well, I want to back up one step because the, the, okay. the scenario that you shared about, you know, the paying of the dues or, or your daughter being in that, like, I'm learning, I'm drinking from the fire hose. We know that good stress is being given the opportunity to test yourself against something that you really can't quite do yet. And, and you're in this, like, I need to get stronger to do it. And the response to being challenged is to get stronger. But in order to be challenged, whether that's in hypertrophy, like lifting weights or, you know, athletic pursuit or a mental pursuit, you have to challenge the system and then give the system rest. And it's nuts to me that the one place that really could and should understand this, which is medicine, does not get that at all. It's just basic science, but there you go. So I really think it's like if younger people were getting into jobs where they were seeing older, more successful, accomplished people modeling sustainable professional growth and development, modeling what it looks like to be a kick butt professional and taking care of yourself, I think they'd be more inclined to follow that model. I think that they're not foolish by thinking, I don't want to do what I saw my mom do. You know, I don't want to do what I saw my last boss do. Or I don't like the way my boss is treating me because they are not kind, not respectful, bullying, mean, in reaction, exhausted. They look like hell. You know, if you don't create a model of success that other people want to follow, I don't know, like, do you blame them for not wanting to pay their dues? Or do you think, hmm, <laughs> maybe I could be having this look, feel, be better, and that we could all find a better way of moving forward. So to the second point, you were talking about women in menop like menopausal, premenopausal, postmenopausal, um, of which I am one. I think there's, a, a, there's layers there. The first is that by the time we've gotten here, we've spent 40, 50 or more years in the cycle of destructive patterns that we've been in. You know, we've been living in what I call the unhealthy default reality, which is my word for our society, a society where the easy things to do are mostly unhealthy, the automatic prescribed conventional choices mostly take you down an unhealthy road. And if you choose to be healthy or happy, you have to avoid the defaults do a whole bunch of inconvenient, expensive, inaccessible, time-consuming, troublesome, difficult, unapproved of things that make you weird, that don't get social support. Now do that, do that for 50 years and see in a patriarchal society how great you're feeling. You know, I think it may have less to do with menopause and more to do with what the accumulated damage of living through your young childhood your adolescence, your young adulthood, your, you know, and think particularly all of the traumas that are in terrifying experiences that are heaped upon us, the patriarchy, the frustration of being mansplained to that entire time, all of that stuff. Now, you get to a point where you're midlife or midlife career or beyond, and you're suddenly realizing that this has not been working that well for you and that you don't want to live the rest of your life this way, but you do not know how to construct a new pattern or a new system or a new deal. I have a mini course I have um, called How to Renegotiate Reality, which is about how to make new deals, reconstruct existing agreements, acknowledge that you're not gonna keep going the way you're gonna keep going. I don't think it's a problem that menopausal women are not liking all these things. I think the problem is that we don't have a path for them to recreate something that works better and that we've made we set up a situation where the accumulated damage of 40 or 50 years is all landing 
in exactly the same moment, by the way, where our kids are off to college, our older parents are needing care, our, the promise of our career success isn't paying off the way we hoped that it would. The deal has often been changed. And sometimes we can't see a path forward. We don't have time or space to imagine the next horizon. In Refine Your Life, it's funny, I was just teaching a class last night on vision, and I have this little board that shows like when you're here in this place, trying to look at what comes next, you can often only see this far ahead, right? Whatever the horizon is, that's as far as you can see. But when you get here, you can see the next horizon. I think with menopause and this phase of life for women, oftentimes we've reached the horizon that we had, like I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna have kids, I'm gonna be a professional, I'm gonna have success, I'm gonna do all this stuff. And then we get to that, that first horizon or second horizon and we're like, this is not working out the way that I wanted it to. We have I'm to not seeing what I wanna see. I'm not yeah. seeing, it's not feeling good what's ahead of me. So then that's the next, that's the next horizon. And like I said, I think that the answer has got to be not each of us individually trying to do a better job at what hasn't been working, fixing our bodies, fixing our minds individually. That helps. And there are strategies for doing that, getting your head above the water so you can see the next horizon. Um, but I do believe we need to do it collectively. And by bonding and understanding our shared experiences, I think we stand a much better chance at renegotiating reality and realizing that that's in everybody's best interest. Because I also think what a rich resource, you know, women of a certain age really have more knowledge and wisdom of how the world works and what the world needs. And it's unfortunately, it's like the worst possible time for most women to then jump into new positions of leadership when they're actually the most qualified because they're exhausted. <laughs> and the world starts to see you as invisible at a certain point too. We haven't talked about that. The, I call it the case, the mysterious case of the disappearing woman, uh, which often <laughs> occurs around that age too. I also think that women are afraid to talk to other women when they start feeling those feelings because they don't want anyone else to see that they're not what everyone else they think sees who they are. Yeah. And I think that if they can get past that, which I talk to my clients about a lot because they seem to want to talk to me about it all because I'm not <laughs> going to say anything and it's very private. And I always say once women take their clothes off, I get to know everything <laughs> about how their brain is thinking and it happens every single time. And I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I, I've gotten used to it, but I do encourage them that they need to get together with girlfriends or with people that they trust and share how they're feeling because 98% of the time that other person that they're going to share it with either has already felt that way or is feeling the same way. And it's, they'll be able to have a much better, healthier conversation. Yeah. Oh, Lisa, that's so true. And I see that in my groups all the time. They're, they have communities for each of my programs. And one of the reasons I do that is I think when people, I always say, if you have a question or a challenge, the chances are very good someone else has it too. And to be able to support each other in, that, in an environment that's, real, that's safe, you know, that's held, um, I think is something that's missing in our culture in a big way. Yes. And again, why I think organizations, even though there's very low trust right now at work, I think that can change. I mean, I, I know with the magazine team that I was, um, that we formed, we, we really developed good trust over time and there and a supportive community of people where people could share what was going on with them. And we realized you think of the fact that you spend that many hours a day, yeah, you know, with 
work people and um, honing your, what you would like to think is your skills and your craft that having those teams and that ability to share has to be so much better than going it alone. But I also think that women are afraid in their work environment, especially if they're the boss or they're with their boss to share some of their insecurities or so to say their insecurities, right? Or what they're thinking because they might look at them in a different way when it comes to their workspace. Absolutely. Um, So I think being at home during COVID, you, you become more isolated too. And nobody's talking to anybody about any of that because they don't have time. So women are becoming more and more isolated now. Um, And they're home with their kids, their husband, their partners, whoever, or alone. And they don't know how to share how they're feeling. Yeah, I think you're right that there's a perceived risk. Um, There's so much vulnerability in acknowledging you don't have it all together, that you're not Teflon, the superwoman model, you know, that you can just, and, you know, I do think too, this is an experience I've seen that women can be seen as getting hard by the time mm-hmm. they're our age, that they, it's like to survive and succeed and not be ripped down by the circumstances that we're thrown in. You know, we kind of get an armor about us. And then if there's any sense that armor might break or that you're gonna be willing to like put a chink in it, you can make yourself, it can feel like you are making yourself a target for all kinds of bad things, you know, criticism and judgment, but also sabotage, you know, also like, well, she's losing it, you know, she's over the hill, she's, you know, past her prime, we need some young person in here to do this thing. And I, and I think that's real. The, the, here's one thing I would say, though. If you feel that there is no safe space in your organization for you to be anything like your real self, it, it is not going to be a sustainable situation for you. It is not, the rewards of that, staying in that are not gonna improve. So there's a like three prong approach in my mind. I mean, one is you can show up differently with a different attitude and begin just noticing that this, you're not resigned to this. There might be a change available to you and notice really how you're, be honest with yourself about how you're feeling if it's breaking you down. The second thing is, like I said, you can renegotiate reality in the situation by saying, you know what, I'm observing in my department, in my unit, in my business, that things, people, everyone seems to be having this experience. Maybe it's time we tried a different track, a different tact. Maybe it's time we changed some expectations or tried instituting some new measures, experimented, like we were talking about with ultradian rhythm breaks or with healthier patterns and expectations and work. Maybe we should re- think about revisiting our priorities for this quarter or next quarter or this year. So there's renegotiating there in, within your team. And then there's renegotiation of like, do you belong in this organization anymore? Do you belong in this profession anymore? And what I'm seeing, people like me, I mean, I, <laughs> I did not plan to move my entire business online. I'm not a technical person. Katie and I were both talking about like the multiple Google personalities and all of the <laughs> same technical platforms. But it is, in my experience, this is actually proving to be a good time to take high levels of expertise and make them available to others, whether through an internet, like a platform like this or something else. And sometimes you may be able to bring more value to the organization that you're in, not in the position that you're in there. You know, in, you might renegotiate your actual role 
consulting might be a better fit for you at this time in your life. Starting your own small business and keeping them as a client might be a good might be a good opportunity. It may be time for you to change organizations, change jobs, change roles. I don't, everyone has to, that's why we have to figure out what the next horizon is, right? On the, the vision horizon. So you really need to commit to investing in yourself yeah. in all ways. Yeah. 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 And I think that's hard for women because again, by the time we're this age, we've been trained to take care of everybody else and to just get by, you know, we we have been managing a lot of other people's lives and success paths, you know, our kids, our husbands, our parents, our partners, and whoever it is. Um, so what if we imagined that women of a certain age are holders of an extraordinary gift that wants to come out and that the reason that we're busting out on the outside isn't because we're not strong enough to withstand the onslaught from outside, but because the gift from inside is trying to get out. That is a perfect way to end with hope and yes. the positive <laughs> thought of what you could be if yeah. you are struggling with where you are now, which according to your numbers, most of us are. <laughs> 99% okay. of us, yeah. <laughs> Couple of things. Tell us how people get a hold of you. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Right now I'm most active through Healthy Deviant. Uh, com. HealthyDeviant.com is the website for my book. It's the website I'm maintaining and it has like the Healthy Deviant quiz and a free preview of my book. And there's a contact button there, my speaking profile and my programs are all there. So I would suggest going there because it also links to my other sites, like my podcast and my personal site, the social channels pretty much too. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn. Wonderful. Now we're going to shift before we let you go. We're going to talk about a nonprofit because as you know, we pick a nonprofit. We ask our guests to share a nonprofit that they would like to highlight. Who did you bring? I brought Appetite for Change in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, their website is appetiteforchangemn.org. And they are a really cool, multi-pronged um, organization that helps to create food independence and food skills in the urban part of North Minneapolis. Well, all of North Minneapolis is urban, um, but a part of Minneapolis that has been famed for its food deserts and inequities in terms of access to healthy whole food. Uh, they have a variety of different programs, an operating cafe, gardens, skill building workshops, distribution uh, programs to get whole healthy foods into the hands of folks who very much need them, often can't afford them or can't access them in their own neighborhoods. And I'm a wild fan of the work that they do. My friend Princess is head of development there, and uh, they make really good use of all of the resources that are sent their way. Appetite for change. And if you get a chance, check out on YouTube, they have a video called We Grow Food, made by a bunch of the youth connected to the program um, about their enthusiasm for creating healthy food skills and access to healthy food in their own neighborhoods. That's fantastic. And again, that's appetiteforchangemn.org. Wonderful organization that we're just learning about. So thank you for that. I have one more question. If you were a dog breed, what kind of dog would you be? A pit bull. I, <laughs> I love pit bulls. I'm a crazy pit bull lady. I have I've my second pit bull right now. His name is Calvin. And today he isn't here, but he usually just sits right back there. He's like a lap dog. He just watches. Um, 
Pit bulls have a terrible reputation, unearned. They're a wonderful, friendly, crazy smart, athletic, companionable creature. And I like to think that I would be a good pit bull. If I were a dog, I would want to be a pit bull because I know of no better dog breed in the world. I don't think I could ever go back to any other dog, honestly. I'm just in love with them. I love it too. I, I think pit, pit bulls are, they approach happily, I feel like. Yep. And they again, I agree with you. They've, they've, gotten, they've gotten a bum rap and they approach with excitement and enthusiasm. And so I really, I can see that it fits. And they're determined. They are like, if, if you want a pit bull to learn a skill, they will learn that skill. They are really fast learners. So I think they model a lot of um, behaviors that I, I'm a fan of. And I think they make the world a better place too. And that's my goal. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you are certainly doing that. Pilar, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely enjoyable. Extraordinary. And yes. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I'm shared a few links for folks that want to go deeper with like the morning minutes practice or learning more about the renegade rituals, video, podcast, an article. And um, I'm even going to share a guided meditation link with you guys where folks can, I can personally will guide you through a morning practice if you would like. And I love sharing this stuff because it made the biggest difference for me. And I hope that your audience and you guys will enjoy experimenting it with it too. We're looking forward to passing that along. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I feel energized. How about you? I feel very energized, almost like I had a meditation while we were recording this podcast. That's a great description of it. A meditation. It really was. I kept thinking about myself through what she was saying and just how you approach things. And really, when I think about us and our labor of love of starting the podcast in the pandemic and having it be something that really fuels us, this is the reason why to be able to share things like this with people. So really happy to do so. If people want to work with you and not throw out every piece of clothing that they have, but have some <laughs> intentional wardrobe discussions, how do they get a hold of you? Lisa at wardrobeconsulting.net. And I'm Katie at katieharms.com. We also are at theviewinyourmirror.com where you can get a list of all of our podcasts that we've done, all of the nonprofits. Reach out to us if you have an idea for a guest that you would like to hear from. We'll do our best to try to get them on. And we've got some great guests coming up. So thank you so much for listening. And we know that with this great advice today, you're on your way to having that beautiful view in your mirror if you don't already. Until next time. 